0: Happy Easter, HCC! If you have your Bibles, you can open up with me to Matthew chapter 12. We'll have other verses up for you on the screen, but that one we will need our Bibles for this morning. And last uh, Friday was Good Friday. We had a Good Friday service where we celebrate and remember what the Lord has done for us. And the only thing that's good about Good Friday is that Jesus Christ took away our sins. The rest of the day was horrific torture, crucifixion on the cross, death, death. Jesus died on the cross on Good Friday for our sins, and thank God that He did. I know I need that forgiveness. I'm a pastor not because I think I'm doing a good enough job of being a good enough person, but I'm a pastor because I know I'm not, and I know that I need the Lord's forgiveness for me, and I find that through Jesus Christ. And the reason why I'm a pastor is I want other people to find that same forgiveness as well. You should have seen how much I sinned this morning yelling at my family to get into the car so we could get here on time. I need the Lord's forgiveness. And today we celebrate Easter. It's not just that we're forgiven. There's more to the story. It's that we're saved. Easter is a day that after three days, they took his body off the cross. It started to rot and stink in the tomb. And what happened on Easter was that by the Holy Spirit, through the will of God the Father, an incredible miracle took place. And that rotting, stinking flesh was transformed into something incorruptible, imperishable. And Jesus came back to life, walked out of the tomb, and ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And miracles can be hard to believe. Miracles can be very hard to believe. Jesus was the recipient of this miracle. And not only did he receive this miracle, he also knew it was going to happen beforehand. Jesus had faith in the Father's power in his life. And he knew this miracle was going to happen beforehand. And he was telling everybody, he told his disciples many times in many ways, trying to get them to understand And usually they didn't quite grasp it. Jesus was a recipient of this miracle, and he also did tons of miracles throughout his life, healing people, delivering them from spiritual bondage, All sorts of incredible things, raising people from the dead. And Jesus' ministry is so powerful that everybody who wanted God came out to see him because his message was that he was God in the flesh and the miracles validated this message. And so all the people who wanted God in their life were desperate for him, came out to see him. One of the days we got to talk about medicine. Medicine is only a modern thing. If you got sick before like the year 1920, you were dead. You were dead. And this is the year zero, All these people dying with no help, no hope. Life expectancy was between 38 and 48. All these people desperate for God in their lives, coming to God in the flesh as he does these miracles. Think how incredible that is. Before Jesus, you got sick, you didn't recover. And Jesus went around healing people. His fame spread immediately. And all these people who wanted God came out, and his ministry was so powerful that not just the people who wanted him came out to see him, But the people who didn't even want God came out to see him. The people who hated God came out to see him. All the skeptics and the haters came out to see him. And they tried to trip him up and they tried to make him look foolish and they tried to disprove him because they didn't want to follow God. And here he is and they couldn't ignore it anymore and they had to come out and see him. In Matthew chapter 12, we have a group of these people. and chapter 12, verse 38, it says, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, showing their lack of understanding of who he is, Teacher, it's not just another teacher. We wish to see a sign from you, a sign. You've done all these miracles to prove that you're God in the flesh. Do one for us. And Jesus looks in their heart, and he'd been doing lots of miracles for people, for people who wanted to see him, for people who wanted him to be their Lord and Savior. These people didn't want him to be their Lord and Savior. And so he looks into their black hearts, and he says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so Jesus sees all these haters and skeptics. They didn't like his miracles. They don't like his message. They probably doubt God. They want to be the God in their own life. And Jesus he knows miracles are hard to believe, and he can see into these people's hearts that they don't want to believe. And so he picks the hardest miracle to believe in the Bible up until that point, I think, for people. It's still hard for people today that somehow God's power could cause someone to be swallowed by a fish, gone to the world for three days, and then be spit up on land. The haters and the skeptics will still pull that one out to try to do dis- You don't really believe that, do you? And so here Jesus looks in the heart, and he says, <laughs> No miracles for you. The only one you'll get is a sign of the prophet Jonah. Just like Jonah was in a fish for three days, I'll be in the earth for three days and I'll come back to life. Jesus looks at these people and says, you have a hard time believing in God. You have a hard time believing in the power of God that he could cause a man to be swallowed by a fish. You should wait and see what I'm going to do. You'll get no miracles until you believe in the resurrection. You think it was hard to believe a guy getting swallowed by the fish? You won't believe what I'm going to do. I'm going to be dead for three days. I'm going to come back to life, and then I'm going to beam off the planet. I'm going to sit at the right hand of the Father for 2,700 years or however long it's going to be until I return. You have a hard time believing the fish. Wait till you see that one. Some of you might have been begged to come here this morning by people who love you. Jesus is fascinating. He never begged anyone to follow him. He knows he's got the goods. He knows he has what we need. He just tells it like it is. If you want to see the power of God in your life, you won't be given a sign until you believe in this one. This is where it's all going to come from. And if you doubt the resurrection, you're not alone. There's been, I've gone through all of them. There have been times in my life where I have not wanted the Lord to be on the throne of my life. I wanted to be the God in my life. I didn't want to submit my ways to him. I wanted to do my ways. I wanted to be king. And so what do you do? Well, you disprove the resurrection. No, nobody could. dead. I've never seen a dead person come back to life. Other times I've desperately wanted God, but it was a very hard time. Experienced a lot of evil and suffering. And so what do you do? You have a hard time believing the power of God and the resurrection. 25% of people who say they're Christians say that they don't believe the resurrection happened. And miracles are hard to believe. That's why we call them miracles. If they weren't hard to believe, we'd call them Normals. And if and when your faith is weak, it's hard to believe in miracles. You might love the morality of the church and of Jesus, and especially as you see what's going on out there. You see, these people can't even address reality anymore. I need to get in church. You might love the order that that brings to the chaos, the wisdom that's found in Jesus' commandments. You might be coming to church for the morality, but you have a hard time with the spirituality. The supernatural, the love of the Lord for you, the power of God in your life. If you want to be moral, you can come to church and read his commandments. If you want to be comfortable, you can reject the supernatural. But if you want to be saved, you've got to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And our passage for today is going to, Paul, Apostle Paul is going to tell that to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Apostle Paul, starting in starting verse three and four, he says, "'For I delivered to you as of first importance "'what I also received, "'that Christ died for our sins "'in accordance with the Scriptures, "'that he was buried, "'that he was raised on the third day "'in accordance with the Scriptures, "'and then he appeared to Cephas, "'Cephas being Peter and the twelve. And Paul says, "'Of first importance to Christianity, "'it's that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, "'and he rose from the grave for our eternal life.'" That's the distinctive of Christianity. You can be a moral person and not a Christian. You can be a helpful person and not a Christian. You can be a loving person and not a Christian. All of those things are Christian values that are characteristics of God himself. But what makes someone a Christian is this first importance. They believe that they are sinners, that Christ died on the cross for their sins, praise the Lord for forgiveness, and that he was raised on the third day. And if you have a hard time believing in the miracle of Jesus, it's understandable. I've never seen anyone come back to life from the dead. You can't bring anybody back to life from the dead. I can't bring anybody back to life from the dead. I've never seen a doctor be able to bring anybody back to life from the dead. This is an incredible miracle. And if you have a hard time believing in the resurrection, then God is greater than you can imagine. You've got a God greater than you can imagine. And why should you believe this? Why should we believe the resurrection? Why should we believe such an incredible miracle? Well, there's a few different ways that we could answer this question. Ultimately, I want to just highlight the fact that we have a supernatural God, and we've been given five senses. Let's see if I can name them: our touch, our smell, our sight, our hearing. What do I miss? Taste. We've been given five senses. They all measure the observable world, but God is not observable. He is spirit, and you've got a different tool that the Lord has given you to exercise your faith with, and it's your soul. And so, ultimately, the resurrection and God Himself and our faith—it's all a spiritual exercise. And we believe in the resurrection ultimately when we are blessed with a gift of faith from God as he as he deposits his Holy Spirit into our soul. But why would we open up our hearts to that gift of faith in this resurrection? Why would we do that? What evidence do we have? And the interesting thing is you can't prove it scientifically. Scientifically. If you were there, you could observe it, but you certainly couldn't explain it scientifically. A miracle, by definition, is outside of the field of study of science. A miracle is supernatural. Science is an observation of the natural. And so you can't prove it scientifically, and people, oh, you can't prove a miracle scientifically. And Well, that, we don't almost prove anything in our life. So You believe almost nothing you believe in your life has been proved scientifically. We don't do this in real life. We don't. We can't do this with the past. Now you can observe some things about the past. You look at a canyon and see a river at the bottom and say, "I believe that over millions of years the river has gone through and worn away." And, and, and that's potentially true. Maybe, maybe not. But most things don't even have that evidence of the past. Everything in the past we can't observe. It happened too long ago. And so how do we prove things in the past? What kind of evidence do we look for in the past? When there's a crime and a person's brought in before the judge, he says, well, you can't observe it scientifically. Another one. Oh, man, this is a rough day again. Okay, fine, you can walk free. We have no evidence. That's not true. Even though we might not be able to observe it, even though we might not be able to repeat it, even though we might not be able to explain it scientifically, we function every day under the understanding that we have other forms of evidence, other ways to prove things. And we should believe in the resurrection, not because of science, trying to prove the resurrection or miracles from science is like trying to smell the color blue. It's outside of the field of study. You've got to look to other avenues and you can believe in the resurrection because of the historical, the literary, and the eyewitness evidence for Jesus Christ's resurrection. I was a biology major and I loved it. It was fantastic. I learned so much One of the things that we went to in our senior year, we went to this conference. It was a conference on evolution, and I was probably, I'm pretty sure I was the only Christian there, up until the point where this guy got up, one of the speakers got up, and he was a Christian, and he was a scientist, and his whole point was, even if evolution, evolution is true, you are still wrong to disbelieve in God. And I sat there, and I couldn't believe this man's boldness. I'd never seen anybody do anything like that. I mean, it's hard to get anybody to talk about Jesus outside of church, period let alone just be completely willing to black, get yourself blackballed and have your career ended by getting up in front of an entire arena of atheists and tell them why they should believe in God. It was incredible. And all these other presenters went about, oh, look, the, the length of the beaks and the finches in the Galapagos Islands, it's, they're still getting longer. They're another millimeter longer in the last 3,000 years. And no one cared, and everyone snoozed, and no one asked any questions to any of these other people, but this guy... When it came time for questions, he had a line outside the door. They gave him all the time they could, and then they gave him another room and more people went to that to ask more questions than listen to the next presentation about the length of worm 's antennae in the Sahara. <laughs> and these people they all they 're so prideful, these people they get up there, you can 't prove the Lord through science, so they must not exist and I wrote down the questions because it was just so fascinating. One guy got up and he said, as a scientist who knows the importance of observation and measurement, how can you believe in God when we have yet to detect any trace of him whatsoever? And I went home and I got this book. It was a gift, I think, from my mother-in-law. And I read this a few weeks later and I was looking through it and I was like, oh, these are so cute. These are the same questions I heard asked at the conference. How can you believe in God when we have yet to detect any trace of him whatsoever? James, age nine, asks, dear God, why are you invisible? (laughs) You don't got to be smart to think of that question. I sat there I read this I thought, all these smart people, they don't ask any tougher questions than the kids do in Sunday school. Kim hasn't answered any, heard any of these questions. Hasn't, hasn't, has heard all of these questions. Has not not heard one of them? One atheist stood up and said, If everything was created, you argue everything that exists has to have a creator, then who created your God? Checkmate. Right, Tricia, Tricia, age eight. Dear God, who is your mom and dad? If God is real, why doesn't He just tell us with some miracle? Like He does time and time again in Scripture. Dear God, I heard how you parted the Red Ocean. That was cool and unbelievable. How come you don't do things spectacular like that anymore? Dan, age seven. That's incredible how smart we are and how dumb we are all at the same time. These are good questions. But if these people went to church, Kim would have told them the answers years ago. Why didn't they come? Why didn't they listen? You can't prove the past scientifically. It is unobservable by definition. We can't observe anything from the past. Nowadays, if you want to observe something, you just take out your cell phone. They didn't have that back then. So do we disbelieve every single thing that we hear before cell phones came along? No, we have other ways of looking at things. We look at the historical situation, the historical evidence, the eyewitness evidence, and the literary evidence. And Jesus lived doing Miracles and teaching with unbelievable wisdom that people started to believe that he was God. They started to believe his message. The people that were there said there's something to this. They knew Jesus was amazing, but they didn't just quite know what they had. There's a show called The Antique Roadshow. It gives me hope for my life. Because these people, they go through their old junk and they find this thing. And they're like, oh, this is a crusty old vase. Maybe I'll bring it to the Antique Roadshow. And they bring it there and the guy looks at me and says, oh, it's an Ida Bay Jackson original. This is worth $143,000. And they have no idea what they had. It was, it was junk in their basement. And they thought they kept it around. They thought, well, you know, it was grandmas, it's worth something but they didn't know what they had until they took it to the antique roadshow. And that's a lot like Jesus' life. These people, they looked at him and they said, wow, this is pretty amazing. But then he got arrested, he got betrayed, he got denied, and he got crucified, and they all gave up. Wouldn't you? I would. And they all ditched him. They didn't know what they had. They denied they were Christians. Then the resurrection happened. And Jesus didn't just live in a bubble. He didn't just live in his house, stay in his basement. He was all over the place. He had healed tons of people. That word spread to even more people exponentially. Everyone had heard of him. I guarantee everybody had heard of someone that had been healed by Jesus. Word spread. And so when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, they were able to to believe in that miracle because they'd already seen the other ones. And so if they hadn't seen it, they were able to believe it. But we can believe it because many people did see it. And how important is it to believe in this miracle? Well, chapter 15, verse 14 through 19, it says this, it says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. Like we're we're lying to you if He didn't get raised from the dead. Because we've been going around saying that He's been raised from the dead, we've seen and if he wasn't, then we're a bunch of liars. For the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. There's no point if we don't believe this miracle. If we have weak faith and we disbelieve in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's no point to being a Christian. There's no point to any of this. If Jesus didn't get raised from the dead, then there is no God. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we're of all people most to be pitied. If there is no God, there is no morality. Why are we wasting our time? Just go live the way you want. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, in verse 20, the first, fr- first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And so Paul's sticking to his story. And these people, they saw Jesus rise from the dead, They had seen his miracles, they had seen his life, and they stuck to their story. The apostle Paul stuck to his story when they told him not to tell it, he told it. And when they said, we'll put you in prison for telling it, he told it, and they put him in prison. And then the Lord got him out and he told it, and they said, we'll cut off your head if you tell it, because apparently putting you in prison doesn't work so well. And so he continued to tell it, and so they had to cut off his head. And there were more, like Paul. How many witnesses do you think there were of Jesus Christ's resurrection? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse five and six. It says, then he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. So there's 12 right there, but oh, there's another sentence. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. If you don't believe that Christ raised from the dead, then talk to them. Well, we can't prove it scientifically. Well, we have eyewitnesses. Go talk to any one of the 500 people who saw him alive at one time. Who knows how many people saw him alive? And then they went out and they told the rest of the world. They told Grandma who couldn't make it. And they told Uncle Fester who lived two towns over. And he had seen Aunt Jemima get healed. (laughs) And so they believed it. If you want to prove something, there's a lot more to doing it than just looking at things from a 21st century scientific perspective. These people weren't fools. They were intimately aware of death. Their life expectancy was 48 years old. They were on people dying all the time. They lived in agrarian culture. Their animals were dying all the time. They'd never seen anybody come back either. And yet they chose to believe this. They weren't dumb. They were smarter than we are. They were able to live on their own wits and abilities. I'm not. I'd be done in a day. These people knew more about the world than I do. I have a hard time changing my own oil. These people survived famines. They worked the ground without any of the amazing things that we have today. They did it all in their knowledge of the way the world worked. They were smarter than you and I, especially when it comes to earthly things like this. what if you, just imagine, what if you today, when you get home and you go on YouTube and you go on the TV, what if you saw a guy who claimed to be divine and then started doing crazy things that were completely unexplainable and he started to gain a following to the point that the government felt threatened by him? to the point that they sent out the SWAT team and the militia to go out and arrest him and take him out? What if this guy predicted that he would die and come back to life, and so the government put armed militia at his gravesite? United States soldiers at his gravesite. Because this guy predicted he would die and come back to life, and they were so frightened that he would, they sent soldiers to guard it. And then, what if you read in the newspaper one day that this man was back alive? Despite the United States' best attempt to keep it quiet, he came back to life and people wouldn't stop talking about it. And so they started killing them all. They killed him publicly so that other people could see, so that you could see. What would happen if you went around telling people about this? There was no freedom of speech. You talk about this, you die. What if they shot people in the streets for saying this? And the people didn't back down? What would you think? Not one, not two, not dozens, but hundreds. We know that the emperor at the time, Nero, used to burn Christians alive in his backyard during his parties to light his space in the darkness. That's what happened to you if you were a Christian. Would you be a Christian? Not unless you were sure. Jesus appeared to 500 people at one time. And would you believe it if all this happened? Other people did. They were willing to give their lives for it. And Romans 1, 3 to 4 says that, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and who was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. God gave his final appraisal of Jesus Christ through the resurrection. And when the people heard Jesus do all these miracles, they saw him do all these miracles and they heard him call his shot. I'm gonna rise from the dead. I'm gonna ascend from the grave. You just wait and see. And then he did it. Other people felt that that was a good enough appraisal for them as well sort of like the person who took the lamp to the antique road show and got the final appraisal and found it was $100,000. These people saw that and they saw the final appraisal and they said, well, I guess that's it. The matter's been settled and they were willing to give their life up for it. Before he rose from the dead, nobody was willing to give their life up for it. Nobody. Zero of his followers died for their faith before Jesus Christ rose from the dead. At least I can see. No, I took that back. No, that's wrong. James... I think was beheaded before Jesus rose and John the Baptist gave his life. This is why you got to do more research. Some of the people were willing to give their lives for Jesus, but not many. At his cross, they were either all dead or they ran. And that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> if you weren't done dead already, you ran. And his mom was the only one there. But after they heard the final appraisal, all these people who previously ran and weren't willing to give up their life for Jesus suddenly were. And you look at what the disciples did. And it's incredible. Spoiler alert, don't pretend I didn't show you that. (laughs) Peter was crucified upside down. James was beheaded. John was the only of the 12 disciples who died of old age, and they boiled him alive and tried to kill him, and he lived, and he never gave up his story. Andrew was crucified upside down. Philip was executed. Bartholomew was skinned alive and then beheaded? Matthew executed, James, Simon, Jude executed, Thomas impaled with a spear, Judas died of suicide. You watch this, and you watch someone get brought out, and you see them start to cut the skin off of their flesh and say, deny the Lord that he rose from the grave. I mean, that's the time you say, I made it all up. I made it all up. Let me go. But these people didn't do that. There's other ways to prove things. And when you have evidence like this, how can you disbelieve? When you see people who did this, how could you disbelieve? If you saw this on the news, they did this publicly. How could you persist in your disbelief? And since we're talking about evidence, here's a guy who knows something about evidence. Let's go back to that first picture. There he is. This is Lionel Luckhu, L-U-C-K-H-O-O, Lionel Luckhu, The man with the Dr. Seuss last name is no joke. This man is the best criminal defense lawyer that has ever existed. He defended murderers, and 245 consecutive times, the police arrested someone. They said, we've got enough evidence that this person murdered another person, that this man's a murderer. They arrested him. They brought him on trial. They went to this guy for his defense, and every single trial, this man won. It doesn't even sound believable. Like, I can believe the resurrection easier than this. Two hundred and forty-five straight cases. How is that even possible? This man looks makes Matlock look like an amateur. You, you're telling me the police got it wrong two hundred and forty-five straight times. That's absurd. This man argued easy cases. He argued impossible cases. It didn't matter. How could you have? How could you do such a thing? You got to be the most amazing, 245, and oh, he never lost. Go Google it later if you don't believe me. Go to Wikipedia. I give a hard time believing it as I'm saying it. Somebody fact check me, like the one where I said that nobody died before the, gee, am I wrong about this one too? 245 straight cases, and he had a a friend who was a Christian, he came to him. And Lionel said, you're a smart guy. How can you believe this superstitious nonsense and mumbo-jumbo, unscientific nonsense? And the guy said, well, why don't you study the case? And why, I wanna, I'll tell you this. Why don't you pretend that the resurrection's on trial? And you look at the evidence that we have for the resurrection, and you try to prove that it didn't happen. And you, Okay. I mean, how, how hard would it be to prove that someone didn't rise from the dead? I've never seen anyone do that. It shouldn't be too hard. And he sat there and he studied it and he read about it. And this man wasn't a Christian. And he read about it and he looked at it and he said, I've been on the winning side of 245 straight cases, but I couldn't win this case. And so he converted. And he started a ministry in Texas, which is still going today. It's called Luckoo Ministries. He'd never lost a case and he didn't want to do one now. And so he converted to believing in Jesus Christ specifically about the resurrection. And in times of difficulty, when we're tempted and we don't want to give up our sin and we want to be the king, then we doubt it. In times of suffering where we've prayed and what we've prayed for is good and it doesn't happen, and we doubt God's power, we doubt the resurrection. And prayer is a whole different story. Prayer is not about what we get. It's about who we're with. And the Lord allows everything in our life for the answer of the question of who we're with. And the answer is that it's God himself with us. And that's the point of all of our prayers. And if God denies us of our prayers, he does so because he's so good, he wants you. He wants your heart. If he gives us what we want, so often we turn away from him and abandon him because we've gotten what we really wanted and what God really wants is for us to want him. That's why Jesus never begs anybody. He knows who he is. It's no good if he's going to beg you. He loves you. And he deserves your love in return. But in times of difficulty, we doubt the resurrection. And what will happen in our life if we put our faith and trust in the resurrection? How will this belief change my life? Well, the first thing I think has to do with death. Death. And we've seen a lot of it over the last few years. The first thing has to do with death. Your entire life will be different because you'll be able to deal with what happens to you at the end of your life and what's going to happen to every single one of the people around you. You'll live your life different. We know through the resurrection that death is not the end. And you will begin to live your life without fear. How deeply do you think the disciples had to be confident in their resurrection to live their life without fear in that way? What do we see from our society today? Godlessness manifesting itself in fear. And if you believe in the resurrection, you'll literally feel like a superhero. You'll walk around not fearing death. Even if you do die, it's not the end. Clearly, no one else here believes that. If you have something important to do with your life, you will be able to accomplish it because you're living without fear. The death gives us supernatural strength. The resurrection gives us supernatural strength, and the first thing it gives us strength to deal with is death. And I've been around long enough to be at the bedside of both Christians who have died and non-Christians who have died, and it's not the same. I wouldn't wish death apart from God on my worst enemy from what I've seen. People go to their death gasping for their last breath, desperate to stay alive, because they have no idea what happens next. Not always, but often. I've watched it. I wouldn't want to be an unbeliever in death. And it doesn't just start there. That kind of fear affects your entire life. And there's a difference between fearing death and grieving death. Death is to be grieved, not to be feared. Not for yourself and not for others. And this is no small belief. The other thing that will happen is that you have the supernatural strength to accomplish God's will for your life. God is greater than you imagined if you doubt his power. And if you don't feel like you've got something great to accomplish in your life, or if you don't feel like you have a life full of life, the first thing I encourage you to do is look at the resurrection. In the resurrection, Jesus overcame death. Physical death and spiritual death. And if you want life, I'd encourage you the first step is to put your faith and trust in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is where we get our power and our strength from. If you don't feel like the Lord is great enough to move in the darkest, darkest, deepest, most difficult areas of your life, you've got a God greater than you can imagine. And the Bible tells us over and over and over again as Jesus looks at his disciples and sees why things are going wrong and he says, oh, you of little faith. Now, it's important to have good theology. Nowhere in the Bible does Jesus say if you just believe hard enough, you'll get whatever you want at all. But what he does absolutely guarantee us is if we have faith, then we will see God moving and working in our life. And even if we don't get what we want, we'll see what God is moving and working and doing in our life and have the strength to get through it. And God is so powerful. He will work miracles and do amazing things today as well. So we always pray in faith, knowing the power of God, knowing that God can change whatever it is in our life that needs to be changed, and that if he doesn't, that he is doing something even greater. And if you have begun to doubt God being able to move and work in your life, you have little faith, and you will be missing out on the things that God does want to do and work in your life. And so the answer is to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ's resurrection. If you believe that God can raise Jesus from the dead, you will certainly believe that the Lord can move and deliver you out of whatever you're going through right now. It's not like if if we have enough faith, the Lord will remove all suffering from our life. It's not like the disciples, all 12 of them died horrible, horrific deaths because they had moments of lack of faith and the Lord removed his protection from them. No, he had a greater purpose. We are here today because of those people. They gave us the evidence that we need to be going strong 2,000 years later. Are you telling me the disciples didn't pray like Jesus in the garden, let this cup pass for me? And then as they started to get tortured and beaten, they said, oh, the Lord has abandoned me and has forsaken me, I give up. I made it all up, I quit. No, they knew that God was doing something greater. And the resurrection allows us access to God's power in our life today. Our faith in the resurrection allows us access to God's power in our life today. And it also allows us strength to know that if God is not giving us exactly what we want, then he is doing something even greater. Do you have something great to do with your life? Do you have a reason to get out of bed in the morning? Do you have a reason to do something other than just going through the motions? If you don't, then put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ's resurrection and get on the team and make your life about going to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. If God isn't moving in your life, if you don't feel like you have anything big to do with your life, it's because you're not on the team. He's risen from the dead and he's asked you to go spread the word just like he did the disciples. And if you want to feel like you've got something amazing to do with your life, begin going out and battling Satan and being able to defend your faith and explain your faith and lead people to the faith. Be able to start to refute the people in your life who don't believe. Study, grow smart enough, grow wise enough, grow bold enough to get out there and do it and you will see the power of God begin to show up in your life. You might feel that God's power is weak because he hasn't given you what you wanted, but God has got something that he wants, and it's your heart. And whatever he's allowing right now, it's because he wants you to grow and learn to depend on him. And as you do that, as you put your faith and trust in him, as your heart goes to him, as you submit your life and your heart to him and what he wants, you'll begin to see God move in your life in ways that you didn't imagine. And if you don't feel like you've got something great to do in your life, then become a Christian and start telling people about salvation and forgiveness. Start seeing how Satan comes against you. Start seeing how the Holy Spirit shows up in your life. God is greater than we can imagine. And every day I wake up, and I know that whatever sins I've committed, and there are many, That the Lord has forgiven them through his sacrifice on the cross. I can know that when I stand before the Lord, all those things that I'm embarrassed of, ashamed of, wish I would have changed, they're gone forever. And I can stand before the Lord in his presence, made holy and righteous by Jesus Christ. And that day, I don't need to worry about whatever I'm going to do wrong. I repent of it, but I don't need to live paralyzed in fear that I'm going to sin. I know that I'm forgiven. And I can get up in the morning not fearing anything that I'm going to do or anything that's going to happen. And I can get up in the morning knowing that whatever I do, do to follow the Lord, I will experience when I stand before him. Whatever I manage to do in faith that day, I will stand before him and hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. All of the sins, all of the failures are removed, and I will stand before the Lord and receive his love and his blessings for an eternity. And that gives me something great to do every single day. I've got incredible purpose in my life. And if you're looking for something great to do in your life, and if you're looking for the strength to accomplish that, it comes through Jesus Christ's resurrection. It's on the cross that we receive our forgiveness, and it's through the resurrection that we receive his power. Let's put our faith and trust in him and begin to receive his power in our life.